I remember my dad wrote me a letter right before I left Grinnell. And he said to me, if you call somebody who seems like they have it all together, you're probably catching them on a good day. And he'd say to me, it's okay not to know your ass from your elbow. You're 22 years old. Resist the temptation to compare yourself to others. Because when one looks at what everybody else has, one will inevitably fear that they have less or different or worse. And if you're so lucky as to have it all, don't brag about it. Because <laughs> it's going to make everybody else feel miserable. I first met Kate Peltz when I was 17, beginning a college search that would eventually lead me to where I sit right now in Grinnell, Iowa. We met on and off in her office throughout my senior year, where we talk about my college applications, my fears, my goals for life after high school. I remember I'd sit on this little couch right underneath a big framed photo of the North Loja here at Grinnell. Kate graduated from Grinnell in December of 2000 and has spent the past 20 years advising students as they transition from high school to college. Kate is one of those people where you never want the conversation to end because you know she'll never run out of insightful things to say. I've been lucky enough to have Kate in my corner during moments of uncertainty or transition, and I wanted to bring her on the podcast today to talk about how to navigate these moments with clarity and grace. From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, I'm Meredith Benjamin. Stay with us. Hi, Kate. Welcome. It's so nice to see your face. Meredith, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. For those who don't know, Kate Peltz is the reason that I'm at Grinnell College and the reason that I'm hosting this podcast today. So we met when I was the director of college counseling at Concord Academy, and you were a student at Concord Academy. I'm still a college counselor, but I left Concord in July to start my own college counseling practice and to have more opportunity for writing. Given my unique transition to Grinnell, having been online for a full year, um, I know you had somewhat of a unique transition to Grinnell. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I went to a large public high school outside of Boston and knew that I didn't want to stay in the Boston area for college. And I applied early decision to a small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. Within minutes of getting there, I just kind of realized it was not a great fit for me. The things that I had prioritized in high school were different than the things that I experienced at my first college. And I knew that I wanted to transfer and I applied after my first year to transfer and I wasn't admitted anywhere. And so I went back to my first school for a third semester and fell into a deep depression there. So I dropped out of college and moved back in with my parents, got a job at a garden shop. I applied to Grinnell because it was a school that kept coming up as one that I should consider. And I applied sight unseen. It was the only college that accepted me. You loved Grinnell. Mm -hmm. And that is a big reason why <laughs> I wound up attending <laughs> Grinnell College sight unseen as well. Can you tell me about what you loved about Grinnell? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I'm a New Englander and hadn't done a ton of travel in other parts of the United States. And so first thing when I flew in, it just felt like a different place to me. It felt like a beautiful place, but with landscape that was unfamiliar to me. I was blown away by friendliness in the Midwest that kind of knocked me off my feet because people in New England are much less willing to just say hello to strangers and put themselves out there. 
Grinnell had these maps that glowed all over campus. And I was standing looking at a map that glowed. And this guy rode up on a bike and asked if he could help me. And that kind of hospitality and friendliness continued for the entire time that I was at Grinnell. I loved the self-governance concept and this idea of being responsible not only for ourselves, but how what we do impacts others. I just find Grinnell to be a place that anything I asked for, I was shown a way to make happen. I felt good about myself as a learner there, and I felt good about myself as a student there. And I was also just interacting with people who had very different life experience than I did as a result of the countries where they were born or the financial circumstance in which they grew up or the belief system systems that they'd grown up with. I just found a relentless curiosity at Grinnell and I felt really safe there. I would go to sleep thinking, I hope tomorrow is just like today. I remember you saying that to me when we were talking about where I should go to college and the Midwestern thing. I remember you trying to describe to me the difference between the Midwest and New England. I had no idea what you were talking about, but now that I'm here, I feel it every day. I found a humility at Grinnell. There was no kind of self-promotion. Yeah. That brings me to a question that I have for you, which is what types of students strike you as Grinnellians when you're doing your college admissions work? What makes a Grinnellian? Grinnell is a school that's hard for me to recommend because I can't speak about it in an unbiased way. It's hard for me to name Grinnell as a school for students to investigate unless they first name that they're looking at Haverford, or they're looking at Carleton, or they're looking at McAllister, or they name the particular values, collaboration versus competition, or, you know, social justice commitment, or diversity, love of learning, whatever the sort of catchphrases are, that then allow me to say, what about Grinnell College in Iowa? Because I think of it as a deliberately chosen place. And so many students, instead of building a college search around values and then finding the institutions that have those values, they begin first with location. And so when a person says they want to go to New York City, it's hard to then say, well, what about Grinnell, Iowa? <laughs> but, but when a person says, I want to go to New York City because there's this thriving pulsing energy there. And they can tease out that it's not the nightlife, but it's just creativity. Then I kind of can see more of a thread that would allow me to say, well, what about Grinnell College in Iowa? Huh. So we're talking about transitions. You were really influential during my crazy transition experience of going from high school to college in a pandemic and deciding where to go to college in a pandemic. And what you're saying about values and thinking about values, it brings me to a question which is just, what are the questions that people should be asking themselves when they're making a major transition in life? Okay, I just can't not say for our listeners that we have to go back to high school, Meredith. And we need to remind the listener, you were, and I think still are, a deeply questioning person, willing to kind of look beyond the surface. You're giving me credit as playing a role in your Grinnell search, but to set the record straight, you put that school on your list begrudgedly. And I sort of said everything that you were naming as the kinds of experiences that you wanted to have in college, I could see Grinnell potentially providing you with. And more important, and this is how I'm going to sort of loop back to your original question, you knew that it's not a place that makes someone happy, but that a person has to play an active role in shaping 
their experiences. And they need to go into any new environment, understanding that it's not just about what you're going to get, but it's also how you're going to contribute. Transitions are so difficult because we anticipate them and we can't know what we're about to encounter on the other side. But I think what makes a more successful transition is feeling like an active participant in it rather than someone who's going through something. So what I'm hearing is that a common mistake is just to expect that you're not going to bring yourself anywhere you go, right? That, that where you are is going to influence how you experience life. Is that right? And then Yeah, and we talked about that. I remember talking about that with you saying, you know, you're going with you. Just because you leave one space, you know, the person who you are there doesn't die. All the things that you've built in one environment, you're capable of building in another. And I think sometimes we imagine that all we experience when we transition is loss. And there may be some losses, but there's also an opportunity for reinvention and recreation and tweaking and sort of taking the pieces of ourselves that we most like or the experiences that we've had where we felt the most successful and trying to replicate them in a future environment. When you were in your gap year in between colleges, in between your old college and Grinnell, or your first college and Grinnell, I remember you telling me that you spent a lot of time baking cookies. You spent a lot of time swimming, and you spent a lot of time doing these things that, you know, from the outside are very ordinary things but that had a, an enormous impact on you. So much so that many, many, many years later, you shared them with me. And I found that really helpful during a period when I was feeling very stuck, when I wasn't sure when I was gonna get to go to college, when I was online, when I was transitioning from one place to another without actually being able to be in that place. And I'm hoping you can share more about the experience of being stuck, of feeling stuck and moving through that. When I left my first school, and I really did consider myself kind of a college dropout, I did feel stuck. And I wanted you to think of your period of uncertainty as though it still counted. And I remember writing that to you, like, this time still counts. It's not fake time. You can still use periods of being betwixt and between to just live, but live with intention. So during my time off from school, I told you that I worked at a garden store, but I also joined a community pool and I started swimming every day at lunch and I swam with a group of people who I never in a million years would have met had I not joined this community pool. And I did bake tons and tons of cookies, all oatmeal raisin, different flavors. But I also set out to read a hundred books. When I got to Grinnell, because I was behind on credits, I ended up taking a swim class um, with Aaron Hurley. And I ended up working with a woman named Betty Moffat, who was in the, um, the writing center. And when I think about the way that my life has been most shaped by my Grinnell experience, working with someone in the writing center and working with Aaron on my swimming, here I am writing now. And also I, I swim every day and I'm coping actually in, in this moment with a back injury. I'm about to have surgery on my back. Swimming has been the one thing that has taken me away from pain. And I was able to swim through pregnancies. I coordinated international admissions efforts and I swam in pools around the world. And it was so lovely to write to Aaron to thank her, to say that, you know, my, my biggest learning didn't actually occur in classrooms at Cornell, but occurred in the pool and occurred in the writing center. And I would never in a million years would have 
had to have taken swim lessons or gone for those one credit extra opportunities in the writing center if I wasn't behind on credits as a result of transferring. It's that silver lining. You just, you don't know it's there until you reflect back on it. That really is becoming such a recurring theme in these interviews that we do for this podcast is the way life builds on itself, like little, little stepping stones. You can't see across the river, but you can see the stones and then you look back and, oh, it was a path. Look at that. Even in what you just said, like the, the, the stepping stones were there all along. I would actually, again, I would put the onus on the person saying, you might not even know that you were carrying a stone on your back that you were able to set down. And then that's what allowed you to take the first step. And then your resourcefulness, because you called someone and you asked, is what allowed you to put down the second stone. And so you're making it across the river and the whole time you're doing it, it feels like just stumbling and, and crooked and wrong and hard. And it isn't until you get to the other side that you realize like, oh my gosh, look at that path I just built. And everybody else just sees the artistry of the path and the ingenuity of the path. But what you know is that like, boy, at times it nearly killed you. But then it's what allowed you to move forward. So I know some things about your life, having known you for several years now, but I am curious about what your path looked like when you left Grinnell. (laughs) Yeah, it was messy. You know, when you asked me, could I speak about transitions? I think I was pretty honest about the fact that I don't transition well. I'm an expert on giving advice about leaving, but I'm not very good at standing between thresholds myself. I left Grinnell in December of 2000 with really no understanding of what was going to come next for me. I had my heart broken because I was breaking up with somebody um, who I was in a relationship with as I was walking out the door. My father picked me up in a truck and we drove back to Boston where I'm from and I cried for most of the trip through snow. I got home and quickly made plans with a fellow Grinnellian to travel. I had had summer jobs and work-study job at Grinnell and had enough money to go to Europe. So we decided to take this trip. She had been a ninth semester student in the education program, and I was graduating at an odd time, and, and we were both feeling like we needed to do these job searches, but we weren't exactly certain what we wanted to do. I ended up getting a job at Bucknell University um, in the admissions office as a result of being on a boat in Greece with Libby. We ran into a student who was on her junior year abroad who let me know that the admissions office at Bucknell was hiring. I randomly threw my hat in the ring and interviewed from a hostel in, I think, Nice, France is where I had my first interview with Bucknell. I had worked in the admissions office at Grinnell um, doing data entry and giving tours and helping with orientation efforts for transfer students because I was a transfer student. And I really loved that work. And so I've been in the admissions field ever since and always sort of stumbling from one career opportunity to the next in what feels to me as the person going through it in this kind of wide and circuitous route. But on the outside, it looks pretty intentional. I'm wondering if you can share anything about risk-taking, the unlikeliness of something happening, and then it happens. If you've ever gotten something you wanted just because you decided to try for it. Yeah, so I believe that people are inherently good, and I believe that it's in one's nature to want to help. I love when people call me out of the blue and say, hey, I'm working on this thing, or I've got this idea, or I don't know, or could you, could you tell me what resource to turn to? And I know that I'm not alone in that. 
I am a firm believer in networking. The best way to make anything happen is to extend oneself in the nicest way possible. I always say, you know, start with a sincere greeting and ask someone else how they are before you ask anything of them. But that once that connection is there to say, hey, I don't know if you're in a position to help me but your name came up as somebody who is influential in this sector, or I've heard such lovely things about you from so-and-so, and I thought I'd take a risk and call you. Again, this idea of we're all good people by saying like, I'm really nervous to make this call, or I feel funny about asking this, but sort of naming the insecurity right out front, those become magic words that almost always make someone treat us better. I do this all the time. I don't know you that well, but or even just to take that risk and compliment somebody. So when I read something that speaks to me, I write to the author and I say, I read your piece and I loved it. And people write me back. I don't expect them to, but who doesn't love praise? Thinking about oneself as being part of a community. And that's something that Grinnell does really well. Rely on the Grinnell community while you're there. Rely on the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell. And that was a shameless plug. Rely on faculty who you admire. Rely on students who are older than you. You don't have to know them. But I did this often when I left Grinnell. When I moved to Boston, I found out who the Grinnellians were who were living here. I would say the Grinnell network is a really strong one. Again, in part, looping back, it's an intentionally chosen community. So the people who are a part of it, they care about it. And that means that, you know, Grinnellians want to help Grinnellians. I can't tell you the number of conversations that I've had as a result of Grinnell. I think that the idea of community is a really interesting one because I think one of the most challenging transitions for, you know, a Grinnellian leaving Grinnell is for the first time the possibility of not being in a community, right? So much of what we've been talking about throughout this conversation has been communities and finding your place in a community. And what does that transition look like when you go from a school community to kind of having to make your own community in the world beyond your campus? I hope for everybody a seamless transition after Grinnell, but in my experience, leaving college is not always pretty. Up until one one graduates, if one's lucky enough to attend college and graduate from college, um, up until then, one's kind of been hanging with almost entirely peers, at least in terms of age and in terms of sort of how one's day is structured, give or take. I can remember finding it very disquieting when I had my first job to feel pretty isolated. I was really on a very, very tight budget and I was paying off student loans and I was fearful to spend money. I was fearful to keep the heat up. <laughs> I was fearful for any kind of entertainment budget. And again, I remember thinking like, is this what all of my friends who are out there are also experiencing? And the kids who were happiest right out of college, again, they got their lumps. It just took a little while. And those of us who struggled, I think, ultimately found our way. But nobody moved through those first six months or a year or even two or even three years after college seamlessly. What advice would you give to someone who's struggling in a new setting, who's feeling overwhelmed or lonely, how might someone work through that feeling as mm. they're transitioning? Well, first I want to normalize loneliness as I'm going to go on a limb and say, potentially an in inherent in every transition. I have been lonely every new place I've ever been. When I took that job in Pennsylvania at Bucknell, I was lonely. When I was in my first role at Concord Academy, I was lonely. When I moved to my second role at Concord Academy, I was lonely. 
leaving Concord Academy, it's been lonely because it's all new to us. It's like learning a new language. If you've ever been to a place where you're, you're immersed, you know, your brain is tired when you're speaking a language that's not your dominant language. And I do think that that same kind of exhaustion happens in transitions. It might not happen immediately because there could be some endorphins that contribute at first, but sooner or later, we all sort of settle in and look around and say, is this really it? Is this as good as it's going to get? And that moment of isolation, wondering, have we made a mistake or are we in the wrong place or is it going to work out is so isolating. And my advice would be, instead of feeling like something is wrong with you, that you're not thriving or wondering, is everybody else thriving and I'm the only one struggling, to trust that there isn't a person who goes through a transition that at some part of that transition doesn't struggle. And I would give people the advice to talk about what it is that they're going through. You know, whether that's making use of mental health resources, whether that's just confiding in trusted friends and family, whether that's going to a gym and just being in community with other people, but trying to be honest about the loneliness that one experiences and then trying to find community to sort of buffer that loneliness, almost to welcome it into the process and to sort of say like, well, this is new. I've never done this before. So Maybe I should expect it to be a little bit bumpy. And then perhaps one would be pleasantly surprised. I think something tricky in new settings that I've experienced is striking a balance between maintaining connections from where you're coming from and making new connections where you are now. And both of those things are really important. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what that balance should look like to have a healthy transition. I do think social media has made that harder. It's so easy to look at social media platforms and see the experiences everybody else is having and feel worried that something is wrong with us because we're not having those experiences. You know, it's, it's sort of like, I know you guys don't use Facebook anymore, but my actually uh, Laura Welp, another Grinnell friend, used to call it slap in the Facebook because she felt like every time she would look at social media, she felt as though there was something about her that was inadequate. And I think that also when we see the fun that other people are having, we miss them and we feel like we're missing out. So I'm not going to tell people not to use social media, but I guess I would say I told you when I left Grinnell that I, you know, was heartbroken, but I just left Grinnell and I didn't have to see my partner, you know, with other people. I just left. That doesn't happen anymore. It's too easy to be aware of people's comings and goings. And then in terms of like the holding on part, I don't know. I mean, here I am mentioning Grinnellians in this conversation and yet I haven't seen Libby in five years and Laura in three. But because here we are talking about Grinnell, they're top of mind and I'll send them both emails after this phone call, you know? And I think you have to take that risk to like build a friend and then also to hold on to a friend. And trust that relationships, there is an ebb and flow to them. And you, Meredith, you're a collector of people, very skilled in holding on to people. And naturally, you know, some are going to drift off, but then they may circle back in a way that's very reassuring. I like to hear that. I want to transition, and that was a very intentional. Um, (laughs) Well played, well played. (laughs) I want to transition and talk a little bit about what you've learned from working with students. You've seen, I think, a lot of different processes in how people think about their lives just by being proximate to students as they're making life choices about where they want to go to college. You've seen a lot of rejection and disappointment 
you've seen a lot of excitement, you've seen a lot of anxiety. I remember we used to joke that the college counselors were therapists who have a couple connections to colleges because so much of what you did was give advice, give reassurance, and just be a listening ear. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that you've learned from your time working with students in this setting. Mm. But it's funny that you look back and that you see that we gave advice because I actually feel like most of my work, if I was leading a student in a particular direction, it was primarily affirming that their instincts were sound. And it was a lot of holding up mirrors and a lot of just reassuring students that they were going to be okay. It wasn't necessarily saying, I think that you should go to Hofstra or I think that you should go to, you know, the main maritime academy. But it might be that I would say to a student, well, gosh, you know, I've heard you prioritize these, 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 and these things. Do you think that that is at I don't know, Wittenberg College, and then having the student articulate whether the priorities were going to be met by a future environment. But what I saw throughout the entire college process for kids was fear of making the wrong choice. That concept of what if this is wrong is paralyzing for everybody, but particularly young people who haven't been invited to make many major life decisions. It's just as paralyzing for adults, but maybe we're slightly more practiced in realizing that if you make, quote, a wrong choice, you can pivot. And um, I think that's the only wisdom that comes is an understanding that you're never stuck. What do you say when someone is experiencing disappointment, when someone feels rejected? I guess, what do you wish people understood about the experience of not getting something that you really want? It really hurts. You know, being told no, it's, it's just painful. I think it's so important that young people have a safe space to put that pain because it's not just one's own disappointment, but so often it's tied to feeling as though they're disappointing others or that they're not meeting expectations, or that there's pressure that's been put on them. And so there's shame as well as hurt. And those are big things to contend with. So that's number one, is to recognize that being told no or not getting what we want, it stings. Usually what I say is like allow yourself to feel that pain and, and roll around in it and stomp in your mud puddles. And then sooner or later, you do have to get on with it so that it doesn't consume you. And in the same way that we talked earlier, to know that, you know, one rejection or one denial, it, it doesn't define you. And it doesn't indicate a future that's going to be filled with more rejection and more denial. In my experience, the things I didn't get, I often am grateful for down the line. We don't grow when we're cozy. We typically grow when we encounter some form of chafing or resistance. The things that kind of scrape against us usually become character-defining moments, but character building really sucks. It's hard. Well, that brings me to a question that I had, which is, how is your mindset about the things you prioritize and the way that you approach challenges, how has that changed since the time you were the average Grinnellian's age? So this is going to sound crass, but I actually think hormones have a big role in it. <laughs> I cried all the time in high school and college. I mean, just constantly. I cried about relationships and I cried about work and I cried about exhaustion. I, I feel like life took a lot out of me. Things don't eviscerate me in the same way that they did when I was younger. I think that I have more capacity for joy, and I also think that I have more tolerance for pain. 
I used to see life as predominantly easy with some rough patches. And I now see that actually there's a lot of life that is difficult or challenging. But in fact, most things in life that are worth having are difficult and challenging. My relationships, being a mom, having a career while being a mom, everything that I care most about has come with effort. I think that that surprised me more when I was younger and now I just kind of accept it. Is that a terrible answer? It's not at all. It's, it's actually quite reassuring to imagine that with time, things just get more tolerable. Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, I'm partnered now and I'm partnered with somebody who is a really good match for me. And I don't go through the same things alone. I have a sounding board and I have a teammate and I have somebody who tells me when I'm being unreasonable or encourages me to try different strategies and also believes in me. And I didn't have that same constant source of reassurance. And that word partner, I, you know, I, I married, he's my husband, but he really is my partner and my best friend. And so, okay, so let's loop it back. I was heartbroken when I left Grinnell and I am not anymore, right? It's like, thank goodness that I was heartbroken when I left Grinnell because it meant that I was able to years and years and years later find my now husband. That's lovely. That's good. <laughs> good to hear. There's life after love. There's life after heartbreak. There's life. I mean, there, there really is something around the corner. So you recently made a major transition of your own. You <laughs> left Concord Academy, my high school, to start your own business. Is that right? Yep. So I'm curious, how has that transition been for you? It's been really hard. I had been in a school setting for 20 years. Just the idea of when my kids went back to school and I knew that colleges were back in session and high schools were back in session and I was sitting at my kitchen table, it was really strange to not have the rhythm of a school and to not have colleagues around me and to not have the hustle and bustle that kids provide. And I didn't know anything about building a small business. I didn't know anything about taxes. I didn't know anything about having an accountant. I didn't know anything about how to like form an LLC. I didn't even know what an LLC really was. I had to buy a computer because I had had a work-issued computer. It was just like a series of decisions and stumbles. I left Concord Academy on July 1st and I injured my back on July 4th. And so the whole time I was building this business, I was also in experiencing debilitating pain for the first time in my life. And then my dog died. <laughs> and you're acting like I'm an expert. And again, I, to use my dad, it's expression like, I don't know my ass from my elbow about this. I can dish advice out, but it's really hard to take my own. So I've had a lot of the like, is this normal? Do I want this forever? Am I doing this well? And what has made it better for me, what has been essential for me is that I'm not doing it alone. There are two other women, each of whom also started their own businesses, each of whom have left independent schools in the Boston area. And we meet every Tuesday. They have been essential to this transition, feeling meaningful, sustainable, affirming, fun, creative. And you know, we were talking earlier about not being in isolation when it's difficult. They, for me, have been two legs of my three-legged stool. Now that I'm nine months into this, I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I feel like year two is an opportunity to reboot. And just like I was saying about past communities, I can hold on to the things that have gone well, but I can also innovate and be entrepreneurial. So I don't have to hang on to the things that aren't working for me. And you know that's true of any transition or new venture. 
Well, that's really exciting. I mean, I'm sorry to hear that things have been hard and it's been a difficult few years. It really has. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, sometimes years are like that. But I, I'm really excited for you and I hope that you're really excited. I have enjoyed talking with you so much and reconnecting with you so much. And I'm hoping that we can end this by, you once gave me advice. We were going on a walk to the coffee shop in Concord and you gave me some just general life advice and it involved getting on a plane and going away somewhere for the weekend and not telling anybody. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm hoping that you can share that wisdom and perhaps any other wisdom that you think that everybody should know. So I have like a few core values. So again, I sort of hinted at one, which is begin every conversation with a sincere greeting. Um, I think I probably told you don't call your mom when you lose your wallet because you almost always find it and it will only freak your mother out. Was that one of my pieces of advice? Yeah. And you know what? I didn't listen to that very recently. I didn't (laughs) listen to that and I should have. And then did it freak your mother out? (laughs) It did. Um, I think I probably told you that if you're going to get a tattoo, you should have it drawn on your body and then you should walk out of the tattoo parlor and you should really like look at that tattoo when there's no adrenaline running through your veins or otherwise you could end up like me with an eight legged ladybug when biologically they only have six. And then I remember the piece of advice that you're talking about. And what I said to you is that, you know, when you become a parent, if you choose to become a parent, the needs of the kid become kind of front and center. And I called in sick so often when I became a new mom. And I wish that when I was just young and new out of college, I would have allowed myself to take two or three days to just call in sick and give no explanation of why. And if you have the resources to hop on a plane and go somewhere and be totally indulgent and spend your money just to do it. Because when you, should you choose to have a baby, you'll just be hemorrhaging money and you will be completely exhausted and sleepless. And I so wish that I had hemorrhaged money and been exhausted and sleepless for more fun because (laughs) I really held back from joy in my early career. I felt so beholden to wanting to prove myself. And then once I became a mom, I sort of felt like, I don't have to prove myself anymore. My kid needs me more than my job does. And I wish that I had had that gumption to know if you're doing a great job and you're showing up every day and you're giving your all, that it's okay to say that you just need a little tiny bit of space for your own sanity and to be indulgent, to not delay gratification. I'm not suggesting that you slack off all the time. But once you've earned your stripes, allow yourself to just follow joy. Well, that is a perfect place to wrap things up. Kate, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's been really fun to talk to you about your life and your transitions. I know that in our relationship, we've talked a lot about my life and my transitions. So it's been really fun and it's been a pleasure. And I'm so grateful to you for this and for everything else you've done from the day that Concord Academy assigned me to be yours. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for the opportunity. And I got to say, it's true what they say that faculty and administrators learn as much from their students as they teach their students. And so I love that now that you're no longer in high school and I'm no longer at Concord Academy, that we're just colleagues and friends and that the learning really continues to run in both directions. It's a pleasure. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at goingforthgrinnell.com. Follow us on Instagram at goingforthpodcast and on Twitter at goingforthpod. Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time on Going Forth.